0: what am i going to preach on today um as we get into this uh i was praying and asking god lord um this is the last large group and i'm not going to see many of these students um as they head toward wherever they're going whether it's back to their countries or on vacation or staying here in korea it's going to be a while till we have another large group or family or anything lord i want to speak uh, something that you know is on your heart i want to speak something that you know that is uh, pertinent and and relevant to them that can help them and bless them in their walk with you, and um, seeking, 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 and I think, I think the Lord gave me a word, right? But um, I'm really hoping that uh, I'm, re- I'm really hoping that it blesses you. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, let me let me pray real quick. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, I just thank you so much that simply by the truth that you love us, God. The fact that you love each and every one of us here, God. And I know that when we meet together on Tuesdays, I know that you love uh, meeting us here, God. You love meeting us here because you love to touch your people, God. You love to speak to your people, God. And, and, um, and you are for every single one of us, God. Um, at this time, Lord, I just pray, would you use me to speak your heart? Would you use me to speak your words? I pray that... Um, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, God. And at this time, I just pray um, that your spirit of wisdom and revelation would enlighten our hearts and open the eyes of our hearts to see how glorious you are, God. So, Lord, I just pray that every heart may be fertile. Every heart, O oh God, would be hungry. And I just pray that all the seeds planted today would come into fruition, O oh God. We thank you for this time, O oh Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um Yeah, let's turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. All right. I love the book of Hebrews because I love coffee. <laughs> You guys don't get (laughs) icebreaker, right? All right, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews, now I'm saying. (laughs) All right, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And the title of this uh, particular passage here is by faith, right? So on the count of three, let's all declare and read this verse together. One, two, three. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All right Let me read that again. Now faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right. And Hebrews chapter 11, you know what it's known for? It's known for the Hall of Fame, the Hall of fame of faith. Because if you keep reading the whole book of Hebrews 11, it talks about and lists all these people in the Bible that are known for their faith. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. All right? So it goes through people like Abraham, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and all these stories. And they made it to this list. All right. And let's skip down to verse 32. Verse 32. After all these people, the writer of Hebrews, he says this in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me, or I wouldn't have enough time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Basically what he's saying is there's so much more people that I can talk about, but time does not suffice for me to talk about. All these people that had incredible faith. Now, in this Hall of Fame of Faith, right, there's one person in particular that popped out. There's one person in particular that really stuck out to me in that verse, and that person's name is Gideon. Everybody say Gideon. All right. So today, I'm going to be talking about the story of Gideon, right? If you guys were there for the first large group of the semester I preached and I talked about the story of one person. Do you guys remember who that was? Huh? I preached on the story of one person in the book of Genesis. Who was that? Joseph, right? I talked about Joseph. And today the Lord's leading me to talk about the life of Gideon. Now Gideon, this is one of my favorite stories, but also his story is actually one of the weirdest stories. His story is actually one of the most... What the kind of stories? Crazy supernatural things happening in Gideon's life. All right. Now, when I share right now about the story of Gideon, I want to let you know that we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot of values through his story. So as I share his story, yeah, listen to the things that I'm preaching. But I want you yourself, one ear listening to me, but the other ear listening to the Holy Spirit. What he has to say to you. Because I'm going to be reading scripture And things may pop out at you, that God may personally be speaking to you. Because there's so many values in the story of Gideon. You guys got that? Yeah. And so, with the story of Gideon, we can actually learn a lot about what it means to be a follower of Christ. I know that in our familias, in our study of the Beatitudes, what it basically comes down to is what does a follower of Christ look like? What does the disciple look like? That's what we've been studying all semester. Now here, in the story of Gideon, we can learn a lot about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Alright? So who is Gideon? Who's never heard of Gideon before? Raise your hand. Alright, you guys all heard of Gideon. Now Gideon, basically, who he is, he's a judge. He was a judge. He was also a prophet. But one thing interesting about Gideon is he was also a military leader. He was a warrior. A military leader was the Israelites. All right? And the story of Gideon the, is found in the book of Judges, chapter 6. So right now, let's turn to the book of Judges, chapter 6. In the Old Testament, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Judges, chapter 6. His story is within chapter 6 to 8, but we're not going to read the whole Uh, all three chapters, all right, so Judges chapter 6, and I just want to give you a background, a narrative of the story of Gideon, all right, and you guys know the story of Moses, right, you guys know the story of uh, the Israelites and how they were in slavery under the Egyptians, and then how God delivered them by crossing the Red Sea, we kind of just sang about that, right, in You you split the sea so we can walk right through, right? We were singing about that. And so God delivered them into the wilderness. And then God used Joshua to bring them into the promised land. And they were strong and courageous and they conquered kingdoms. They conquered kings. I know you guys all read your Bible because I I know you know what I'm talking about. They conquered kings. And guess what? They faced decades and decades of prosperity. They were rich. They were wealthy. They were the most powerful empire at that time. Israelites, they had it going on. God was blessing them. But lo and behold, what happens is they fall away. They fall away. You know, after much of God's faithfulness to the Israelites, they eventually turned away from the Lord again. And the Bible says they did evil in the sight of God. Did evil in the sight of God. Now, unfortunately, if you keep reading the Old Testament, that phrase, unfortunately, is always there. All the time. Did evil in the sight of God. Did evil in the sight of God. Unfortunately, it's an all too common phrase in the Old Testament. What ended up happening, they started worshiping idols. Idols such as Baal and Asherah. They started worshiping idols, stopped depending on God. They worship idols and they became self-dependent. Self-dependent. And forsaking the greatest commandment to love God with all of their hearts, minds, and souls. You guys with me? Therefore, what did the Lord do? He allowed the certain people called the Midianites, Midianites, to come and oppress them, to come and oppress them, to discipline them. And they oppressed them for seven years. So there we go. Back in slavery again. Slavery in Egypt delivered prosperity, turned away from God, and now back in slavery again. Right. You know what? Um, there's, a, there's a lesson to be learned here, even in this. And the lesson to be learned is this. Just like that, God can take away blessing just as fast as, as he can give it. And you know, that, that ought to put the fear of the Lord on us. You know, God can take away blessing just as fast as he could give blessing. And we see that right here. Why does he do that? He wants to see if we were seeing God as a means to an end or the end. And that's something that we all got to always wonder in our hearts. To you, is God a means to an end or is he the end? As in, when there's blessing and prosperity in your life, when things are going well, a.k.a. maybe right after a retreat, uh-huh, right? We're on fire, aren't we? We bless Him, we depend on Him, we cry out to Him. But slowly, our prayers begin to change. And you'll begin to notice, maybe God has is becoming a means to an end, rather than the end. He's becoming a means to more goods, circumstances in life, but he's not our portion, our treasure. You know what I'm saying? So this is what happens to the Israelites. And you know what? It wasn't a typical, typical kind of slavery. It was this kind of slavery. So the Midianites, they didn't take the land, actually, of the Israelites. They didn't take their land. You know what they did? They let them live in their land. And they let them farm, they let them cultivate prosperity, but every time it was harvest time, every time they was fruitfulness, the Midianites came and they took everything. So think about that. You're working so hard for prosperity. You're working so hard for your well-being. And then when harvest time comes, yeah, we get to eat our fruit. Nope, Midianites come and they jack all their stuff. That sucks. That sucks. That's seven straight years of doing that. Seven years. I mean, like, think about it. Like, you're so prosperous, and all of a sudden, you're dead broke. Not only dead broke, but you're getting robbed. Injustice. You know? And finally, in verse verse 6, it said that they finally cried out to the Lord. They finally cried out to the Lord. They had nothing, they were broken. They got on their knees and they started crying out to the Lord, Help us. You know, we do that too, don't we? We don't really recognize our faults. And when we come to the end of ourselves, we cry out. We cry out. And you know what? It's not necessarily a bad thing. Actually, that's what God wants. You know, for some of us, you will face trials in your life. You will. And sometimes God will bring those trials in our lives. He will allow these trials to happen. right? Because he wants us to depend on him. He wants us to see him as our portion. Amen? Right? And so, this is what happens. The story is about to get exciting. All right. So an angel or a messenger of God, he approaches Gideon. He approaches Gideon. He's just hanging out. And you know what Gideon's doing? Gideon, it says here, he's threshing wheat. Right? How many of you guys have threshed wheat before? Probably nobody, right? What you do is you grab wheat, right? And then there's there's seeds in these wheat that's useful, and then there's chaff that are useless. So what it is, they get this and they beat the threshing floor. They they beat the floor and then it's wide in the open space so that the wind blows away the chaff so that what's useful, the grain remains. But you're supposed to do that in an open space. Why? Because you need the wind. Makes sense, right? But Gideon, he's doing something strange here. He's in a wine press. This circular wine press where there's a little bit of walls. And he's hiding. He's hiding and he's threshing this wheat. Why? Because he's scared. The first thing to know about Gideon is he was fearful. He was fearful of the Midianites coming, thinking, I don't want them to jack my stuff. This is my wheat, you know. So he was hiding. And so this angel comes to Gideon as he's being a wimp, as he's being a coward. And this angel says the strangest thing. Look to verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12. It says this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You brave man. You courageous man. You mighty man, the Lord is with you. But does it make sense though? He's, he's hiding, he's hiding in a winepress. I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I was like, I don't understand. Angel, don't, don't you see that he's hiding? Don't you see that he's being a wimp? You know? And, you know, have you, I don't know, some of you guys, we can relate, right? Have you ever felt like this before? When someone comes up to you and says the very opposite of what you're feeling, right? Has someone ever, ever, ever came up to you and said, Amy, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and and some some people tell me that too, and I'm like, I don't feel feel that at all, right? You know, God is proud of you, He is well pleased in you, there is no condemnation for you. What about, hey, you are righteous? Because at that time I definitely don't feel righteous. You know, there are times when. God sends messengers or God sends people in our lives and he declares this crazy things that don't seem to be in alignment with how we feel. This is exactly what's happening with Gideon. You're a mighty man of valor. You're a brave and courageous man, but he's hiding, right? So what's going on? This is what God's doing. Many times, this is how the Lord speaks, all right? This is how the Lord speaks, he calls us by our destiny. He sees the destiny in each and every one of us. He sees the destiny in Gideon. He calls you by what God sees upon you in spirit. right? But we see in the physical. We see circumstances. We see what we feel. But God sees you and I in the spirit according to truth. According to truth. Amen. And you know what? What determines your reality? What determines your reality? Is it your feelings or is it your circumstances that determine your reality? Is that your foundation? Is that the rock that you the rock that you stand on? You know? Or is it is it the truth? Is it the word of God? Is it what God thinks about you? Is that the rock on which you stand upon? Because let me tell you, as you live this life, you're going to hear a lot of voices. You're going to hear your own fleshly voice. You're going to maybe even hear the voice of your parents, even those who are closest to us. And they're going to start speaking over us. And some of us, if we're not careful, we'll succumb to that. We'll believe that. We'll start believing those things. And we'll be shaken. So right here, I don't know about you, but if God came up to you right now and said, David, you're a mighty man of valor. You're a courageous man. Chris, you're a courageous man. Diane, you are a courageous woman of God. Maggie, you are a courageous, you are brave, you're a mighty woman of God. What would you what would you say to yourself? Would you believe it? Well, what if God came up to you and said this? You are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. You are co-heir with Christ. You are royalty. Amy, you are royalty. EJ, you are royalty. Hey, God is for you and not against you. Because all this is truth right here. But would we believe it? Would we really believe the truth? That's what it means to walk in faith. And not by sight. This is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? You guys with me? Right. So let's move on in the story. You know what he begins to do? You know what Gideon begins to do? After God comes up to him, angel comes up and say, You mighty man of valor, God is with you. Let's read in verse 13. Verse 13, it says this. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, if the Lord is with us, like you're saying. Why then has all this happened to us? Why is all this happening? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But check this out. How dare he say this right here? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. He thinks God has forsaken them. God has forsaken them. You know, many times... In the Bible, you know, Jesus says clearly to you and I, to the very end of the age, I will be with you, right? I will be with you. But, you know, just like Gideon, sometimes we get like that. Where were you in this situation, God? Where were you in this situation, God? When I was going through this, God, you weren't there. You, you, you forsook me. You weren't there. So right there is a crossroads right there. Sometimes we feel... God has abandoned me. He's not with me. That's our circumstance, right? But then the truth, the truth says, the promise from Jesus saying, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Which one will we stand upon? Right? You know, Gideon is still not walking in faith, but he's walking by sight. He's walking by what he sees. He is given this overwhelming task of saving Israel, And God responds with how weak he is, and how weak. And Gideon responds with how weak he is, how weak his clan is, and how he is the most unqualified. So, this is what happens. You know what God says to Gideon? You mighty man of valor. God said, I'm going to use you to save this nation. I'm going to use you to save this nation. And then, how does he respond? Me? I'm the weakest. My clan, my family is the weakest of all families in this tribe. And I am the weakest in my family. I am the most unqualified. I'm hiding here. Don't you see? What you mean you're going to use me? Actually, it sounds like Moses, doesn't it? When God says, I'm going to use you to deliver a people. But Moses uses that excuse of, no, I can't even speak. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm weak in this. But isn't it interesting And isn't it amazing that God wants to exactly use those kind of people? And if you're like me, guys, if you're like me, as we're growing and walking with the Lord, there's going to be situations and opportunities that God will present to you and I. And I know, (laughs) I know that some of us will think, but I can't do this. But I can't do this. I don't have the skills to do this. But good news, that's what qualifies you. That's why God wants to use you. Amen? All right. So what does Gideon do? He tests the Lord. He tests the Lord. He's saying, Lord, if this is true, I want you to prove it to me. So Gideon, he go get some, some, some meat. He gets some food. He puts it on a rock. And then God, what does he do? He brings fire out of that rock. And it consumes the food. Now if you and I, if you saw that in front of your eyes. If you, if you saw that supernatural act in front of your eyes. Would you not believe that God is telling the truth? Right? Would you not believe that God is being honest? Would you not believe that he really is with you? And that he really is going to use you? But Gideon... Even through a supernatural act like that, guess what he does? He continues to doubt. He continues to test God. And that's like some of us too. Some of us, we've experienced the power of God like never before. Some of us, you have felt the power of the Holy Spirit like electricity on you. Some of us, all of us, have witnessed and believed in the greatest miracle, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The most supernatural happening in history, and still we doubt, don't we? We doubt God. We doubt God's love, right? So he tests him, but by God's grace, God is patient. He proves himself. God always proves himself, right? And so I want to get to the part of the story that that really just uh, stuck out to me, right? And it's this. Gideon gathers an army of about... 32,000 people, an army of about 32,000 people. God comes up to Gideon. Now check this out and says, you have way too many people, 32,000. At that time, the Midianite army, it was estimated they had 150,000 people, 32,000 versus 150,000. And so what does God do? He shrinks the army and said, for those who are filled with fear, go home. So the army is cut down by by 80%. And with the remaining left, God says, oh, there's still too many people. There's still too much. So I want to cut down more of your army. So what does he do? Go to a lake, and the soldiers that drink water like this, like this, keep them. But the soldiers that put their mouth to the water, let them go home. Why? Because the shoulders that brought water to the lips, they're qualified. Why? Because they're paying attention. They're paying attention. Their eyes are open. But to those who are, who are just dipping their face in the water, they're, they're obviously not paying attention. They're letting the guards down. So God let them go. So how many soldiers remained? 300. 300 against what? 150,000 people. And God says, I'm going to use you. All right? Before they go into battle, this guy in the, in, the, in the clan, he has a dream. And this is a dream. He goes up to Gideon and says, Gideon, I had a dream. There's this barley bread. Everyone say barley bread. There's this barley bread that rolls down from the mountain and it crashed onto their camp and it destroyed them all. That's the dream that this guy shares with Gideon before going into battle. Isn't that encouraging? Right? Now, why, why am I sharing all these little details? I want you to catch the theme here. Gideon, the lowest in his tribe, the lowest in his family, hiding. Right. Now, his army that he could come up with, they're shrinking. They're shrinking by like 90%, 95% of the size, little by little. And barley bread, you know what barley bread, it's like Puri or something, puri bread or something, right? You know what it represented? It actually, rep- some people, some scholars say that that kind of bread was used to feed dogs. It was the lowest quality of grain, the lowest quality of bread. And that prophetic dream saying, God will use the lowest of lows to, to defeat the strongest army. Now it's about to get real cool. It's about to get real weird. You guys with me? Hang in there. Here we go. So Gideon. He gets this idea, if I was Gideon and I had my army of 300, you know, I'm responsible as a commander to tell them to rile them up, to encourage them, and and, and to face this uh, 150,000-person army, right? But this is what Gideon does. He gives them two things, weapons, two weapons to fight with. The first weapon, he gives everyone a trumpet, a trumpet. Alright, if you keep reading, he gives them a trumpet. And the other hand, you know what he gives them? He gives them a torch inside a jar. What the heck is that, right? A torch inside of a jar and a trumpet. And here's the game plan. Here's the game plan. Gideon says, I'm going to go forth, and when I blow my trumpet, I want all you guys, all 300 of you, to blow your trumpet. And at the same time, I want you to break the jar, break the jar, and that's the game plan. That's the game plan, right? But if you keep reading, you know what happens? They blow the trumpet, they break the jars, and the Midianite army, they start fighting each other. They start fighting each other. And they start killing each other. And they start running away. Isn't that crazy? They start running away. And then the Israelite army, they run after them. And they destroy them. And they won. And that prophetic dream of the, using the lowest of lows to defeat the strongest, it happens. He used Gideon and the small 300 to defeat the Midianites, their oppressors. How? I was like, God, you got to speak to me. Like, what does this mean? This trumpet and like these weapons of warfare. And then the Lord, He led me to 2 Corinthians, right? So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. This verse is talking about us. It's talking about you and I. Now, I want you guys to catch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7-10. through 10, And it says this. But we have this treasure. Everyone say treasure. In jars of clay. Right? We have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. All right? We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So I felt like what the Lord was speaking to me was this. You and I, it says right here in this passage, you and I, we are, we are but jars of clay. We are but jars of clay. But it says in this verse that within us, within you and I, is this treasure. Is this treasure, right? To know that this all-surpassing power, it belongs to God and not to us. and That's exactly what we see in the story of Gideon's fight. That God used the most lowest thing, the lowest people, to display His power, to display His might, to display His rule. Right? And so I want to share this verse with you. 1 Corinthians 6.19, you can just listen. It says, do you not know that, you, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. And the verse is, this verse, turn to your neighbor and say, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this treasure that is in you and I, this treasure is the Holy Spirit. You and I, we are but jars of clay. And this treasure in you and I, that is the Holy Spirit. Right? And think about this verse in 1 John 4.4. 4. It says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them. Check this out. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you, in you, in me, right, is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen? Now check this verse out, Colossians 1.27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery is this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Turn to your neighbor and say, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Amen? You know what? What I find in the story of Gideon is this. The way that Gideon led his army to fight was that the jar needed to break. The jar needed to break in order that the torch can be used. The torch inside the jar, it could not serve its purpose without the breaking of the jar. And I believe that as Holy Spirit lives in each and every one of us as Jesus Christ the hope of glory is in each and every one of us here's my main main point for today is that we must break we must be broken and we must yield and submit to the holy spirit in order for holy for holy spirit to do what he, only He can do. To do what only He can do. You know, I'm going to read these next couple of verses. I'm going to read these next couple verses. And you know what? Unfortunately, unfortunately, guys, these are verses that are not preached on these days. These are verses I'm about to read that are not preached enough about and have created such a soft generation of believers. Here we go. Let's learn from Paul. In Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection, a.k.a. the treasure within. To know the power of the resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what Paul said? He said, I want to be like him, knowing the power, resurrection power, but it didn't stop there. He said, "But suffering and becoming like him, like Jesus in his death. Saying this, you and I, we all want to walk in resurrection power. Amen. We all want to walk in signs and wonders, but none of us want to die. None of us want to deny ourselves. David Crowder, he wrote the song. The lyrics go, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Here's another verse that's not preached enough today. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let that resonate with you. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. And then let me read another verse, Matthew sixteen twenty four. And we're learning about what it means to be a disciple of Christ, right? Well, here it is. Jesus says it plain and clear. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Take up their cross. Crucify their own nature. Dying to yourself. What does this look like? Dying to your reputation. If you die to your reputation, you will not fear man. Someone once told me, Dead people can't get offended. (laughs) You know? If you die to yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to move, die to your old creation, and be resurrected to live your new creation lives, you're dying to your reputation. You're dying to entitlement. You're dying to your care of what people think about you. You're dying to all those things. But I shared this analogy before. I'm going to share it again. It's kind of gruesome. You know, many times this is what we do. It says the old is gone, the new has come. So, so we are new creation, but, but our old creation is there in like a body bag, right? You guys remember? In a body bag. But sometimes we live old creation lives, but we don't die to ourselves. But instead, you know what we do? We go back into that body bag and we start living that old creation life again. And sometimes we don't, we expect the Holy Spirit to move powerfully in our lives, but it's not happening. We expect victory in our lives. We expect signs and wonders to come out of our lives. We expect all these amazing testimonies to come out of our lives. We expect boldness to come out of our lives, but what's happening? We're not willing to die. We love ourselves too much. We love ourselves too much. Earlier in the semester, we talked about lordship, right? Lordship means, Lord, anywhere, anything, any (laughs) place, anything, Yes, Lord. That's Lordship, right? You know where Lordship begins? You know, we call Jesus our Savior, 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 Savior. But you know when Lordship begins? It begins when we choose to die to ourselves. That's where Lordship begins. That's where Lordship begins. You know, my message tonight, I'm pretty much done, but I felt like what the Lord wanted me to share with each and every one of us is, We have studied the Beatitudes this semester, right? We have studied the Beatitudes. But here's the thing. The key to living a Beatitude-centered life, you know what it is? It's dying to ourselves and allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work in our hearts. You and I, we are incapable of, of living out the Beatitudes. You and I are incapable of living out as a true follower of Christ if we don't humble ourselves, if we don't carry our crosses daily, if we don't die to ourselves. That is the key to allowing the life of the kingdom citizen to manifest in our lives. How many of you guys want that? How many of you guys want that? Right? How many of you guys want that? Um, let's stand as we close tonight. It's just going to make it short. Make it short tonight. Yeah. 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 Let's stand and we're just going to pray for a couple of things to so just wrap up the semester. Yeah, and if we could just take some time to just close our eyes. You know, Gideon, you know, the first thing he did after the Lord called him a valiant warrior, the first thing he did is he destroyed idols. He destroyed the idols of his father. That's what he did. You know, I feel like God is calling us to destroy the idols of our lives, the things that we depend on the most, the things that devastate us if it's taken away. Um, But there's one idol in particular that we need to cut down. And the greatest idol is ourselves, actually. It's ourselves. You know, Holy Spirit is more than willing more than willing to do His work in our lives and in our hearts if we let Him. If we let Him. So I'm just going to read Galatians 2.20 one more time. And after I read this prayer, I want to give you some time to just speak to the Lord. I'm saying, Lord, I want this to be part of my life. Teach me what it means to die to myself, to deny myself, strip away all entitlements. Galatians two twenty. Paul says, "I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith." in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'll let Scripture do the talking. I'll read that again. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Tonight, if you want to make a fresh commitment before the Lord, saying, Jesus, let your life reign in me. Holy Spirit, do your work. I want to let go of all entitlements. I just want to give an invitation just where you are. If you're able, I want you to just begin to kneel before the Lord. Just kneel before the Lord. And saying, Lord... I want to be a true follower. I want to be a true disciple. And God, I cannot do it without you. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you, Holy Spirit. So if that's you, just between you and the Lord, just humble yourself. That's a symbolic gesture before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. And saying, Lord, my my life is not worth living for myself. I want your life to be lived in me. Would you be the treasure in this jar of clay? Would you be the treasure in this jar of clay? And just begin to dialogue with him. Just begin to speak to him. Just begin to speak to him. And so, Lord, I surrender. i just give you a moment, just between you and the Lord.